poetry lovers. This Father's Day, give the gift of poetry with Father versus Sons, a moving, funny, and richly illustrated book from the iconic Beat Generation author Herbert Gold and his twin sons. Father versus Sons, a correspondence in poems. My name is Lara Jäger. I'm a senior content editor at the Academy of American Poets, and I am absolutely thrilled to be here in conversation with Kim Blazer, our guest editor for November 2021. Hi, Kim. How are you? Hi. It's so great to be with you on your last day at the Academy of American ah. Poets. <laughs> <laughs> a lovely way to end things. Yes. Yeah. Um, so let's kind of dive right in. How did you approach curating Homeday? Well, first of all, I just want to say, like, it was so wonderful to have this, like, huge canvas of possibility, right? Um, and there are always those people who you think deserve more exposure. And for me, many of those poets were BIPOC writers um, and also some Indigenous writers who are, you know, working in the language and native languages or code switching. I think, you know, I really wanted to make sure that that was out there. And then... Um, I thought about writers whose poetry I first encountered by either performing with them or being featured with them in an anthology. So people whose work really struck me or caused me to go seek out more from them. For example, I a few years ago, I was in this amazing anthology, um, doc, undocumented Great Lakes Poet Laureates on Social Justice. And it was edited by Ron Reiki and Andrea Scarpino. But anyway, when we did readings, we would also read other poets' work from the book. And one of the writers whose really powerful poems I loved reading was Yolanda Wisher. And I knew I wanted to include her work. So I never met her, had never corresponded, but I reached out and happily she sent me poems. So that was one of the things I did. It's like, it was an opportunity to, to, you know, connect with people who I admired, but didn't even know. And then I also tried to include, you know, emerging writers as well as writers whose works that I've known and admired for years. And I thought a little bit about poetic aesthetic and not wanting to only um, duplicate the kind of poems that I tend to write. So I wanted to be certain to include writers whose work always surprises me or delights me with inventiveness of language or form. So Wendy Vardaman uh, is a former Madison Poet Laureate. She is also a graphic designer. So her poems always tend to have both influences. So I was really excited to invite her and then um, I think, you know, as poets and searchers, we are drawn to certain kinds of explorations or subjects. And for me, justice issues, you know, social justice, environmental justice, 
and how these are linked to our worldview, like our understanding for me of relatedness, how we're relatives and not, you know, um, the owners of the world around us. And so I naturally was interested in the work of other people who are kind of bending troubling ideas back on themselves and giving us another perspective. And I also appreciate poems that challenge the boundaries of knowing, um, that push us towards that ephemeral or the spiritual reality. Um, but you never really know when you, you ask for something what that person is writing in the present. So it might be completely different from the poems of theirs that you have held on to. So you have to kind of gamble on you know, those voices that you've come to respect and you're seldom disappointed and I wasn't. So that was kind of a cool thing too. I, I kind of noticed, I think we talked about this one day when we were just chatting, I noticed that there was a slant of the collected poems. So just now kind of in our current times, part of the work of poetry is actually making sense of loss um, of a certain kind of aloneness we have experienced during the pandemic. Um, and maybe that includes a push toward like reassessment of values, which you mm -hmm. see in a lot of things that are happening, but also in the poetry or maybe being led by the poetry, you know, who's to say. So many of the poems submitted were also engaged in these kind of tasks or, or, or invited the reader to sort of these spaces of contemplation. Ooh. So that's, you know, kind of some of my thoughts about how the whole curation went. Yeah, I mean, you can really see it in the work. Like, I, and you mentioned, like, we talked about this before, like, you really can see the dynamism of the language. And this is a word that I've just thinking about a lot, the elasticity of the thinking. And it's like you said, when I think people, people think about journals, and they think about these kinds of publications, and they're like, well, there's this kind of strata of like who gets to be in them, but it's like poem a day. It really allows you, as a guest editor, to like be a fan and like be like, I admire you. Do you want to like send me work? Let's build something together. Like, and this month, it's it is it's an incredible architecture. I'm so excited for people to read it. Well, I'm so excited too. You know, I, I read it all again before we had our conversation just to remind myself of who are these great poets and what did they write? And so I was again blown away by some of the poems. And even though I'd read them several times, I'm underlying passages and starring things because I think some of the stuff is just memorable and it just yeah. kind of like is haunting in its um, truthfulness or, you know, the questions it raises or you say like the elasticity elasticity, the way that it, it, you know, opens up our own thinking about something else or maybe a different perspective. I, I just loved a lot of what people did with their poems. Yeah. And what you said, the spiritual plane, which is like, it's not the liminal space, but they're related. They're like cousins. And yes. they're always talking to each other. <laughs> I love that. Yes, they are always yeah. talking to each other. And if we're really lucky, we get to be that, you know, like conduit, right? <laughs> yeah. Nikki Finney in the event last night that we did, um, Poetry and Social Change, um, kept talking about portals. And that also feels oh. like a really significant word to describe this month. There are so many portals. Um, there are so many ways that you can like be in conversation with yourself and with these strangers and that's magical 
See, I love that idea of portals because I, I always think about, you know, poetry as gesture. So it's mm. not necessarily taking us there, it's getting us to the edge of it, right? Yeah. And so it, like, it invites the reader in but, or pushes them, right, into, you know, through that portal into a new space. So yes, I always think about that, about what's not on the page, but that the page makes possible. Yes! Uh, ah, I wish I could like shake this computer screen. My God, that's exactly correct. Ah, um, oh gosh, okay. Um, so if you could direct readers to one poem in our collection that you didn't curate, um, what would it be and why? Well, I thought about that, in, I, you know, in the last few years, um, I've been thinking a lot about water and I was actually writing an essay called A Cosmology of Nubi. And Nabi is the Anishinaabe Moan word for water. And since I was writing this essay about my own relationship to water and my arts relationship to water and my, you know, Native communities relationship to water, I wanted to know, um, explore how other po poets speak about or to water. So I did that, you know, how you can explore by subject. And one of the poems that I found that I, you know, stayed with me and that I, I really loved was one by a poet I didn't know. And her name is Lisa Sicarello. I may be mispronouncing that, but the poem is A Water Woman Has No Body. A Water Woman Has No Body. And oh it has is it's really cool and it has all these I, like, even, I know that poem you should look it up I, and I have it right here too but um it has these haunting lines and and there are a couple of them that I kind of scribbled you could find them in my journal you know because at the time that I was working and one of them is she told me a woman made of water can never crack she told me a woman made of water can never crack I thought that was brilliant and it's like sort of in the poem, what happens is that the speaker kind of aligns herself with water. And so we learn from her or she learns from water a way of being in the world. And there's another really lovely moment. Um, and, it, and it seems to me it's describing us as women. And she says, a small trickle eating its way through stone. A small trickle oh, eating it. It's in our life sometimes, you know? <laughs> so that so it was those ideas, but also the way they were expressed. And it's like a slight poem and it's tightly constructed. And I appreciated the images um, and the elasticity of her mind. <laughs> and so it has that implied metaphor that I, you know, I really um you know, agreed with. And and so I like using the collection to find these kinds of gems that you would never know about, right? But then I also have poets and I turn to, and that squeaking is my dog in the background with his squeaky toys. Sorry about that. Oh, um, <laughs> I, I did a lot of quieting. I didn't think of quieting her. Um, <laughs> so anyway, poets that, or poems that I want to, I want to see again. So, you know, I always tell my students that um, there are never enough uh, Linda Hogan poems, and there you never know when you're going to need one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, last year, the Poetry Coalition for the um, the headline had a Linda Hogan poem. Yeah. You know, line from her and a Linda Hogan poem. So that poem I recommend, which is Map, right? Yeah. And you know, there's it's part of it is about the history of colonization, but it's through the impact of colonization on nature. And it has these 
vivid images of the alive world um, and suggest that like naming and mapping and those kind of impositions are tools of capitalism and possession and ownership and power. And so ultimately they're tools of destruction, right? Yeah. And so she, like here in this poem and like in so many of her poems, she asked us to recalibrate. Right. She, she writes in that poem, and I, I wrote this down, um, there are names each thing has for itself. So that just sense of like honor the reality of the world, you know, don't try to own it, possess it, you know, use your, your power on it. And then there's another really lovely line. It was um, a grain of dust dwells in the center of every flake of snow. A grain oh. of dust dwells in the center of every flake of snow. And so, you know, if poetry is a gesture, um, her poems keep gesturing towards that kind of, I don't know, mysterious reality and the, 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 the sacred center of being. Mm. So those are two poems that I totally recommend to anyone. <laughs> the sacred center of being. And how is that also a possible? It's still, it's, it's there. It has to be possible. It has to be, it's possible to access it. You know? Absolutely. Oh, you know, absolutely. So, you know, you may know Gordon Henry's work. Gordon Henry is another Anishinaabe poet. And if you don't, you should. Yes. Um, but anyway, he, in his theoretical writing, talks about Native literature as seeking these centers, you know, and that they're mobile centers of consciousness. I mean, because the, you know, circularity is a big factor of Native literature, but also this idea that the, the poems and the stories themselves are seeking the center, are returning to centers. And he says they're mobile centers of consciousness. They could be seasons, they could be communities, they could be stories, they could be people. But the idea is they're alive, right? And, and they're not some static thing. And that we can them again. We can enter through those portals and be a part of that understanding of the world. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> Natalie Diaz talked about water a lot last night too. And she said something that I think um, totally fits with that poem where she was like, if you have water in any kind of vessel and that vessel breaks, there is a moment where the water retains the shape of the vessel mm. right before it kind of like expands outward. So like it retains this memory of itself. Um, and like, she said something about breaking and like the poem I think you read said something about cracking. Um, and it's like, how can we be both, how can we be both the breaking and the, and the, remembrance and also the release I love like, that how can we be in, embodied in each process in each step of that process which is which is poetry like which is writing which is art um I'm thinking so much about this um this painting I have absolutely no idea who did it uh but it's I went to the uh Museum of Contemporary Art when I was really 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 young mm -hmm. um and there was this huge canvas at the time. It felt like it was like the entire span of the wall. It felt enormous. Uh -huh. And I was so small. And it was just <laughs> covered in um, lapis lazuli, like dust mm. and like pigmentation. 
And the description was that the artist like got this enormous grant to just make art. And all of that money was like spent on like buying this pigmentation to just give it, to just like give it to the world. You know what I mean? And it's like, what are, how, like not only is it stepping towards unownership, but like when we don't own something, it can be with everybody. And isn't that so beautiful? Yes. And I love what you said about the immensity. It's like right now, so I'm here adjacent to the Boundary Waters Canary Wilderness, a million wet acres. And when you're there and you're just this tiny little speck in a kayak and there's just, you're surrounded by water. I mean, you disappear and you become a part of it, right? Yeah. You disappear. I, I, I love, I just love all the concepts of water and I just I keep thinking about them and I, I keep looking you know how to how to say these things or point towards them in my poetry um I did a really fun poem last year when I was up here and we were doing um poetry that was uh you know about saving the earth it was both the earth that's what it was that series vote the earth uh-huh. and um and you're supposed to do about the place and I was in this place right and so I I op- I remember opening that poem was like scientists say my brain and heart are seventy three percent water, they underestimate me. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, like that's because honestly, you know, we are so much more water, right? Yeah. In all kinds of ways. So yeah. Oh, I would I'd love to hear. Li- I'll listen back to that comment by Natalie. Oh gosh, yes. Um, oh, they underestimate me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, who are you reading right now? So I'm reading. I'm, I'm reading several things. One of them is that new collection that Joy Hardo edited, "Living Nations, Living Words," and I'm also, you know, listening to the poems and the commentaries on the Library of Congress. Um, and, it, it, and there's the map there and it's just this beautiful collection more than 50 indigenous poets and stunning work and they talk about their own work I mean I'm in there too but I'm I'm really excited about all the people that are that are featured there so that's one of the things that I'm kind of spending time with and and I'm actually at UWM teaching an indigenous poetry course for graduate students this semester. So I get to reread a lot of the classics. Um, and I recently reread uh, Gerald Bisner's Matsushima Pine Islands. And, and I don't know that a lot of people know that book, but besides doing all that theory that he does, he's a haiku writer. Ooh. And this is a collection of haiku. And it has a brilliant introduction. It's one of the best commentaries about haiku that I read. I go back to it a lot of times and he talks about the form and he talks about it also and how it is very similar to the Anishinaabe dream songs. And, and so I loved, you know, revisiting that whole thing. And then, um, yesterday I spent quite a bit of time with a book called Partial Recall. And this is a book that's edited by Lucy Lippard. And what it is, is it's photographs of Native Americans, but a lot of them are um, these older photos, right? And she invited a group of contemporary Native writers to 
select a photo and then to kind of break it open by, um, to reclaim it, to restore it, because so many of these are kind of cannibalistic and stereotypic. And so I spent some time with that and a lot of brilliant writers, you know, talking about the relationship we have with images uh, and all that's involved with that. And that's really fascinating to me because I think you know that I'm also a photographer. That's one of yeah. the things. Yeah. So that book has been, you know, really, even though I've read it probably for teaching, maybe four other times, <laughs> I still learn something new and I start thinking again about things in new ways. Um, but then beside my classroom reading, I found a used book by Naomi Shihab Nye, which is a collection of her older essays, and it's never in a hurry. So oh. it's a really cool, like, you know, she's so quirky in her writing, and I love the strange um, juxtapositions of her ideas. But I'm reading it also at the same time that I'm reading Richard Wright's haiku that my, the one I got, again, I got it used. It's an older collection, but it's the, the, the work that's just being featured now a lot. And mm -hmm. I wanted to read it. And so when I'm reading those two side by side, it, it's like they're sort of offering a similar perspective. Like Naomi has this quote. Um, it's a Thai proverb. Life is so short, we must move very slowly. Life is so short, we must move very slowly. Like, you know, don't speed do it because like, oh, there's not enough time, but move very slowly, right? And, yeah. and I feel like, isn't that what haiku teaches? You know, what poetry teaches? So if it's like, it's an active attention, we have to look closely. So both of those are sort of engaged in that same being in the moment and seeing what's before you and entering into that. So those are kind of the things I've been reading and it's great, especially oh. in this space. Yeah, I mean... I can't even imagine what it's like to be surrounded by water and like immersed in poetry. <laughs> Gosh. Um, last year I want to read all those books. Okay, I was going to say last year in Wisconsin, um, I'm trying to think the Sheboygan Poet Laureate wanted people to do poems about water. And it was, I don't remember if it was for A Thousand Poets for Change, it was for something. And when she invited these video poems that we were supposed to record ourselves and then she was putting together a program, I was up here. And so, you know, you cannot be in the boundary waters. That's a, a, a you know, protected area, but you can go in by water. You can only go in by water in canoe or kayak. You can't have a motor, et cetera. So I could have gone just out in our, you know, water that surrounds our cabin, but I decided to go in the litter of boundary waters and then <laughs> record myself there. So I did, and that was so much fun. It was so much fun. And, you know, you can't predict the, the birds that are going to sing and everything else that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that people, I, I don't know if poets feel, I don't think poets feel like this, but I think that general populace feels like poetry is still so much, it's so serious. It's very uh -huh. like, you gotta be really serious, but it's uh -huh. playful, it's so fun. It's exuberant to be in poetry, to make art. Yes. like, if you were not filled with that kind of exuberance, that kind of joy and like the making of something, I don't know, that's like the whole, that's for me, that's the whole point. Like, why not uh, Natalie Diaz, again, my idol, <laughs> why not now go towards the things I love, you know? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Um, gosh, okay. Um, thank you for all of those book recommendations. I really want to read them. Um, 
So what are you currently working on now in your writing, teaching, or publishing life? Okay, so I have a new manuscript of poetry called Ancient Light, and I've been tweaking it. It was a finalist for Milkweed's Ballard Spar Prize this year, yeah. which I think is a good sign. <laughs> but I just went back to it, you know, kind of like um, added a couple poems, took a few out, rearranged it, and I'm trying to also um, consider how many of what I call my picto poems I can include, because, you know, that's like a, a stopping thing for some publishers. So I'm trying to finally settle and then let that go and move on, right? Um, yeah. and, I, and I was working on it again last night and I, and I have a new version of it and I think it's good. <laughs> you know, we always like what we're doing the most right now, you know, like, mm -hmm. but anyway, um, and then I've been writing um, memoir pieces like vignettes or sort of flash creative nonfiction. Um, and also, so because I've, I've wanted to, people often ask me for these um, memoir-like essays. And I want to be really careful about, you know, I don't want to be a person who reveals everyone else's truths, you know, like, or, or you know, anything bad about people. I want to, I want to tiptoe around that and, you know, like use, use that Senate tool of poetry to gesture towards things, but not, you know, like, call people out in their in their own you know ish problems because that's not my place to do right but i still obviously i've been in spaces where there are they're not easy spaces and i and i need to also articulate that and so i've been finding that these flash memoirs which are sort of like prose poems have been allowing me to do that you know like to drop into moments and to to story them in a kind of a poetic lyrical way and yeah. and then not to just like tell all it's not going to be a tell all right so that I've been working on that and then I've been working on straight fiction I'm very slow at that but I have been doing that for a number of years and I think I'm finally close to a collection which is kind of cool um and then I'm doing my photography and especially here you know, reflection, refraction and reflection because of the water, right? And and I, and a lot of times, I mean, a lot of my photography is nature photography, but it's not, I try not to, to be representational, not that postcard reality, but to be, a, you know, a, a, a sort of surreal or, or look at the minute or, you know, other kinds of, of ways of, of entering into the spaces so that it doesn't become static, that there's a space mm -hmm. for the viewer to enter. And when I have time, I do what I was talking about before, the picto poems, where I bring my poetry and photography together in layers of text and image. And so that was inspired by both Anishinaabe pictographs and Native American ledger art. So it's kind of like a palimpsest where something is spilling into something else. And that it, it gives to the reader the opportunity to make those connections that I hope I imply through the, you know, arrangement. Um, I find that my technological abilities to create what I hope it to what will look like are sometimes a challenge. So it takes me longer. And, you know, we never have enough time as creative people to do the things we want. But um, that's one of them. And then I guess the other really exciting thing that I'm, you know, working on right now is, I think you know that I founded Inepo Indigenous Nation. Oh. So we're still um, 
getting all our sort of spidery infra infrastructure in place. So that's just like, you know, task after task after task, but we're, we're working on a new web page, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. But also next April, the last week of April, we're going to have our first mentoring retreat in DC when Joy Harjo closes out her um, laureateship. She's going to be with us, and the, the Library of Congress is going to host us for part of this, and we're going to work with the NAMI, the National Museum of American Indians. So right now, you know, the fundraising and all the details around that are a big preoccupation. So That's phenomenal. Damn, <laughs> you're phenomenal. This is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, everybody does this, though. You know, like you have, I'm interested in this, I'm interested in that, right? That, that's what yeah. keeps us awake and alive. It is. My God. I'm so excited for the future with you in this future, you know? Like, in your art and your presence and your brain. It's it's so exciting. This is so exciting. Um, thank you so much for talking with me. This is so nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such a pleasure. And I'm going to keep thinking about that sort of elasticity as I go into my day, because that's a great, yeah. a great thought that I'm going to carry. But um, so great to be with you and good luck in your next step. Thank you so much. Um, oh, wow. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll take good care, Kim. Have a great day. You too. You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>